people that live here in our country uh, experiencing all the blessings and so on that we have would get worried about taking our kids overseas. What we ought to be worrying about is the world taking our kids away. These are kids that go out into the world with their family and they get it. Did, did that make sense? Did I say it right? Or did I just confuse everybody? <laughs> Way over your head? Okay. You're a pretty smart guy, so I must have really botched that. It's cool to me that the Lou's take their children overseas and gain the world in it. You know? They gain their children actually loving God and going after the things of God. That's very cool. All right. So here we go. Um, go ahead, guys. Start the clock, if you would. Okay. We are in our last sermon on Genesis. Uh, we're heading into Exodus next, but we're in our last sermon in Genesis. And because of that, I'm going to show you the Bible Project video that does the second half of the book of Genesis and really covers the entire book. So I want you to see this. And there's a reason why I'm going to talk about it afterwards. It's germane to the sermon. But there's two things. So there's, a, there's sort of a bigger picture. And then there's a thing that has to do with today. And that is, we're going to do a little game Okay, and the game is, I want you to count how many times in this video you hear the word blessed, like just make marks or something, okay? How many times blessed, blessing, bless, you know, any form of that word. Got it? Okay, here we go. The book of Genesis. In the first video, we saw how chapters 1 through 11 set up the basic storyline of the Bible. God has created all things, and he makes humans in his image to rule the world on his behalf. The humans choose sin and rebellion, and so the world spins out of control into violence and death, all leading up to the rebellion and scattering of the people in Babylon. And so the big question is, what is God going to do to rescue and redeem his world? Well, out of that scattering at Babylon, the author traces a genealogy of just one family that leads eventually to a man named Abram, later known as Abraham. And God's promise to Abraham at the beginning of chapter 12 opens up a whole new movement in the story. God calls Abraham to leave his home and go to the land of Canaan, which God says will become his one day. And in that land, God promises to make Abraham into a great nation, to make his name great and to bless him. Now, these promises are connected back to earlier parts of the book. So Babylon had arrogantly tried to make a great name for itself, and that didn't go over very well. But God, in his generosity, is going to bestow a great name on this no-name guy, Abraham. And God's blessing of Abraham echoes all the way back to that original blessing God gave humanity in the beginning. So the question is, why is God going to bless Abraham and his family? And the last line of God's promise makes this clear. So that all the families of the earth will find God's blessing in you. Now this is key for understanding the whole rest of the biblical story. God's plan is to rescue and bless his rebellious world through Abraham's family. And this is why the whole rest of the Old Testament story is just going to focus on this one family, eventually called the people of Israel. This is also why Israel will later be called a kingdom of priests at Mount Sinai. God wants to use them to show all of the other nations what he's like. And ultimately, this is the promise that gets picked up by the later biblical prophets and poets who say that its fulfillment will come through Israel's messianic king, whose reign will bring justice and peace to all of the nations. Now, at this point of the story, none of that's clear. You just have to keep reading and watch the promise develop. And so the rest of the book focuses on Abraham and his family. First, Abraham himself, then his son Isaac, and then his son Jacob, and then Jacob's 12 sons. And the stories about each generation, they're united by two main themes. So first, each generation of Abraham's family is marked by repeated failure. They just keep making really bad decisions that mess up their lives and that put God's promise in jeopardy. However, God remains faithful to them. He keeps rescuing them from themselves and reaffirming his commitment to bless them and bless the nations through them despite their failings. So the Abraham stories. God had promised Abraham a huge family, but on two different occasions, he's afraid for his life because other men are attracted to his wife, and so he denies that he's even married to her, which creates, of course, all of these problems. And not only that, Abraham and his wife Sarah, they can't have children, and so Sarah arranges for Abraham to sleep with one of their servant girls, which also creates all of these problems in the family. 
But each time, God bails Abraham out. And in chapters 15 and 17, God even formalizes his promise to Abraham with an official commitment called a covenant. This is a classic scene. God invites Abraham to look up at the night stars and to count them. And he says, that's how numerous your family is going to be. And despite all of the odds, having no kids and no way to have any at the moment, Abraham looks up in the sky and simply trusts God's promise. And God responds by entering into a covenant with Abraham, promising that he will become a father of many nations, that God's blessing may come to the whole world. God asks Abraham to mark his family with a sign of the covenant, circumcision of all the male boys in the family. This is a symbol to remind them that the fruitfulness of their family is a gift from God. And so Abraham has lots of kids eventually, and he dies at a good old age. Now, the Jacob stories play out these themes even more dramatically. From birth, Jacob lives up to the meaning of his name, which is deceiver. He cheats his brother Esau out of his inheritance and blessing, and he does it by deceiving his old blind father, no less, and then he just takes off. He goes on to take four wives, even though he really only loves one, Rachel, and this creates all of these rivalries in the family. The only thing that humbles Jacob is being deceived by his uncle Laban, who cheats him out of years of his life. The tables have finally turned. And so it's a humbled Jacob that returns to his homeland. And in a very strange story, Jacob ends up wrestling with God as he demands that God bless him. Some things never really change, do they? However, God honors his determination and he passes Abraham's blessing on to him. And he renames Jacob as Israel, which means wrestles with God. Now, it's this last part of the book, the story of Jacob's sons, where all the themes come to a head. Jacob loves his second to youngest son, Joseph, more than any of the others. And he gives him this special jacket. And the ten older sons come to hate Joseph. And so they kidnap him and they plan to kill him. But instead, they decide to just sell him into slavery in Egypt where he ends up in prison. Talk about family failure. But God is with Joseph. And he orchestrates Joseph's release from prison. And Pharaoh ends up elevating Joseph to second in command over all of Egypt. And so Joseph saves the nation of Egypt during a famine. And he also ends up saving his brothers and his family from starving to death. And so once again, we can see the folly and the sin of Abraham's family is met with God's faithfulness, who subverts even the evil of the brothers into an occasion to save life. And this is actually what Joseph says right near the end of the book. He says to his brothers, you all planned this for evil, but God planned it for good to save many lives. Now, these words are strategically placed at the end of the book because they summarize not only the story of Joseph and his brothers, but the book as a whole. From Genesis 3 onward, humans keep acting selfishly and doing evil, but this God is not going to leave his world to its own devices. He remains faithful and determined to bless people despite their failures. You can see this especially in how that mysterious promise about the descendant of the woman gets developed throughout the book. So remember, Genesis 3, God promised that this wounded victor would come and crush the snake and defeat evil at its source. And the author then connects this promise directly to the line of Abraham. This is a part of how God's going to bring his blessing to the nations. Now, from Abraham, this promise gets connected to Judah, the fourth son of Jacob. And this is how. In an extremely important poem in chapter 49, in aging Jacob, he's on his deathbed. He wants to bless his 12 sons. And when he comes to Judah, Jacob predicts that Judah will become the tribe of Israel's royal leaders and that one day a king will come who will command the obedience of all the nations and fulfill God's promise to restore the garden blessing to all of the world. World. And then after this, Jacob dies. And later, Joseph dies too. And the growing family remains in Egypt. And so the book of Genesis ends with all of these future hopes and promises left hanging and undeveloped. And it forces you to turn the page to see how it's all going to turn out. But for now, that's the book of Genesis. I think those are the most extraordinary videos. I'm so thankful to them. Um, there's two things that I want to hit here. The first one is, and I, I need to tell you, I've been studying the Bible 
in a very deep way, including you know, years and years of academic study and so on. And I never saw what I now think to be one of the very strongest proofs of the, the presence of God, the existence of God, and what the Bible really is. I never saw this until we started doing this part of this study and what we're doing here, and that's this. There is, if you're in academic circles, a scholarly way of looking at the book that basically says something like this. These are just stories made up by people that were wishing good upon themselves, and they were adding to the various stories that were going there for purposes of their own thing. And it's called Documentary Hypothesis, and it has JJTBD, and there's all these different things about it that are scholarly. And if you, you need to understand something. If you want a chair, if you want to be a professor at any kind of university, you basically, except the very most conservative ones, you basically have to believe that Genesis is a book that was compiled or was added to, let's say. Somebody wrote a story and then somebody had a reason later to, write, to add something to the story to make themselves and their situation, what they wanted done later. They, had, they added material. And then somebody else had another agenda and so they added material. And another person had an agenda and they added material. Do you see it? So this is, this is exactly the opposite of any sense that Moses wrote it, that God wrote it through Moses, that God was trying to communicate something to us of a larger theme. This thing completely destroys that kind of, of, of thinking. And what you have to understand is, is that there are ways of doing that in what I would call the minor issues. They're not so minor to scholars because they make a mountain or molehill out of, they make a, that. Okay, mountain out of a molehill. And they do that, but here's what they miss. Exactly what that video just showed you. Again, I said this a couple of weeks ago when I first realized it, and then it just lately, it's been, it just kept getting stronger and stronger and stronger to me. If you were writing a novel, here's what your first chapter consists of. Who are the characters? What's the theme? So that you understand the journey of the rest of the book. You would foreshadow things in that very beginning, wouldn't you? In ways that people don't even get. But at the very end, when they come back, people see them. And so too in ways that this whole documentary hypothesis cannot account for. You have in these first 11 chapters and in the next chapters to the end of the book, you have Jesus everywhere. And none of it makes any sense until there is a Jesus. And the point is this book was written, and we know this for sure, way before Jesus. The scholars have to admit, they have to say, yes, the, the, the book of Genesis was the way that it was way before there ever was a Jesus. So explain to me all of this. If there wasn't a person dictating, essentially, having written this book, do you see the proof all of a sudden? Because part of the proof is, go to this family here. See, watch. The, the very beginning of it sets up the theme. The theme is... God made us to be with us, and we're schmucks, <laughs> right? We, we can't get there. We don't get there. He gives us every chance. We don't get there, period. So we're schmucks. So the bottom line is, now you get that in those first 11 chapters. These are the themes, and in, the, in there you've got all of these little hints about, you know, one who's going to crush your head. One, you know, all of these things about Jesus in there. But then what God says is, now this is just extraordinary. God says, I'm going to take one family, one person, and through his descendants, I'm going to bless, change the entire world. I'm going to answer the problem of the first 11 chapters. I'm going to give you my solution through this family. Now let's just be clear about something. How many families do you think still exist from the ones that just began at the very beginning? Because I can tell you right now, not very many. Most of them are gone. We'll, we'll, we'll look at that in just a little bit. But I want you to see, how do you say, how, at the very least, well, 
the way that the Bible's saying it, Moses writes this from stories that are much older, but Moses writes this in about 1400, um, uh, before, 1400 years before Christ, right? And then even if you've got JEPD, you've still, you still go way over here and you still end up with only, you know, hundreds of years at least before Christ. But the bottom line is, what this book is saying is that this all works out through a family. And then it does. <laughs> and then it does. Through a family. Just like he said. This ought to stop you in your tracks. I, I really have come to a conclusion about this particular proof. You have to push away facts in order to deny the evidence that God has given in Genesis. You have to push away what anybody can see. All of a sudden, people that reject God, that reject scripture, that reject all these things, all of a sudden I see them in a different light. This is the most irrational, unreasonable bias thing you can possibly do. If you'll just look soberly at this one argument that I'm making, tell me how this happens without a God. The coincidences on it just happening, somebody writing down a book about some future and some thing that we don't even have any idea, and then finally all of a sudden that thing is Jesus, and then everything in the whole world is blessed, and all that kind of stuff. Can you imagine the odds of that just happening on its own? Even, even this, do you know how few evidences of written stuff we have from way back then? So God didn't just do it, what he said. He preserved the writing of it. Do you understand it? And it just keeps going and going and going and going. I'm just telling you, I, this is an extraordinary proof. The existence of God and him being able to do whatever he wants. And him telling us what he's going to do and then doing it. And there's no other way to explain it except for God. I can't come up with any. I've tried. And the more I think about it, the more I'm going, oh my gosh. And this painted that picture perfectly, didn't it? Now, in that regard, now we're getting to the sub-message of this message. How many times was blessing used in there? Did anybody count it? 16. 16? Okay. So I didn't count it, so thank you. <laughs> 16 times, blessing, 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 blessing. And you see it at the very beginning. And of course, at the very end, this is what we're to be, a blessing. But I have to say something. I'm not totally sure that we understand what that means. Because in a way that I have described in sermons before, but in a way that we're going to see much more deeply today, I was trying to communicate what a blessing really is. See, when I pray for a blessing over somebody, I'm like, oh God, just please bless them. <laughs> a friend of mine had a really great comment at, at International <laughs> Convention. He said, we spend a lot of time praying for what God already is doing. Like we ask God to be merciful in their travels, as if God wasn't merciful. We ask God to bless somebody as if God isn't already blessing them. That's his heart, his intent. The issue is, we're not supposed to be saying, oh God, bless them. What does that mean? Here's what we're supposed to be doing, which we're going to see, and I don't want to steal all the thunder from it. We're supposed to be speaking something into them. There's a power in this. There's a power in what we're doing here today. And, and trying to think about what would be an image of great power, I came up with this one. That's pretty powerful. This is the first, not the first, this is a hydrogen bomb test. An actual one. This isn't animation from some game. This is an actual video of a hydrogen bomb. Does that look pretty powerful? Here's the shockwave now. Boom, hitting the camera. I mean, I don't know about you, but I just think that's really cool. But I have to say, the idea of blessing is supposed to bless somebody and a hydrogen bomb doesn't seem like a big blessing. <laughs> Feels a little bit more like destructive. And so I was asking God, tell me something that will communicate the power of this, of this idea, the power that's in the thing that you're wanting to talk about today. And guess what he led me to? 
The same thing, only on an infinitely larger scale. In the beginning was... This is that same thing. Look, it even looks the same. This is a NASA animation of what the Big Bang looks like. It goes to the Big Bang. And then look at this. From that, these are all, like the Milky Way galaxy is just a dot upon a dot upon a dot inside of this. This is all these galaxies and all these nebula and all these solar systems and, and just billions upon billions of planets and, and, and stars and all of these things. You see this? So there's this, let this be light. And then there's this explosion of stuff that happens in the world. And if I had to say what I want you to get out of this sermon, that's it. There's something that we're supposed to be doing, which is going to birth billions upon billions of things into that person and into everybody that they're going to touch. You see it? That's what we're doing today. So with that, I actually asked that Kevin Prowls would pray for us for this. So could you get a mic back? Oh, you already got a mic. See how clever you guys are. Okay. So, and I asked Kevin just, A, because he was standing there, but B, because I was like, this is a big time in this church's life. Kevin is an incredibly important God has a calling on Kevin's life. I want to speak a blessing on him. God doing this work in and through him. So Kevin, would you lift up the sermon? Would you lift up another church too? Yeah. Well, God, we, we thank you that you're here and you have a word for us this morning. And so we come to you with open hearts and open ears to hear. Um, and we thank you that you've already blessed Kurt with this sermon. And ask that he would deliver it exactly as you've given it to him, um, and that he would be an anointed one, blessed to be a blessing. And then that would uh, come to all of us. God, I also want to lift up uh, my friend's church, The Well, Foursquare Church in Southern California, and my friends Eric and Aaron. Would you bless them Amen. as well? Or would, would, may they experience a, a fresh anointing of your spirit. And we thank you and we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, we have this much ground to cover, which is a lot. We're going to do it in this much space, which seems like a little, but buckle up. Because <laughs> in order to do this right, we've got to get this right. So we're going to move, and I just need you to hang in there, okay? It's going to resolve in a way that Okay, but, but watch this. If we're going to understand about blessings, the best place for us to go is a sermon Kevin actually did a couple of weeks ago that had to do with uh, es or Isaac blessing the twins, Esau and Jacob, or more particularly with Jacob stealing the blessing. He'd already stolen the birthright, but now he's stealing the blessing, okay? So what happens is, is that it starts off with it basically, Esau's old. He tells his favored son, excuse me, Isaac is old. I'm going to do this the whole time, you guys. I'm just telling you, substitute right name here, okay? Isaac is old, and he is, uh, he says, I'm going to die. I want to give you a blessing. So I love this particular meal that you make. Go out and kill it. Bring it back. Make it for me. Feed it to me. After that, I'm going to bless you. Mama gets a hold of that, talks to Jacob. They come up with a plan where he wears like sheepskin on him for the rough hair that, that Esau had, and he gets the smell of the clothes right and everything else, okay? And the dad is old and infirm and blind, and he can't tell. But he knows this isn't Esau in the beginning. He's like, this isn't right. The voice isn't quite right. This isn't the right guy. Now, they're twins, so it's going to be close, right? But at the same time, he's going, nah, this isn't the right guy, Okay? They're fraternal, not identical. Now, what we get is, so Jacob, so, so finally he says to him, he feels, and he, he says, now come over and kiss me. When Isaac caught the smell of Jacob's clothes, pretending to be Esau, he was finally convinced and he blessed his son, thinking it was Esau. He said, ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of the outdoors, which the Lord has blessed. Now here's the blessing that's given. From the dew of heaven and the riches of the earth, may God always give you abundant harvest of grain and bountiful new wine. There's a sub-theme in here that I need you to get a hold of. I'm fine with stopping right there. I'm being serious here to my own harm. 
Because there's something about blessing that I'm realizing I'm not getting. I want to just say something to me. People talk all the time in the church world and so on about legacy, leaving on legacy. That has never meant anything to me. I don't know what's wrong with me or I don't, I didn't ever felt like anything was wrong with me. I didn't, I don't care about legacy. I don't care. You know, what I did was what I was supposed to do and that's it. And whatever God wants to do next is his business. And I don't care. So I don't have any stake in it. And it felt good that I wasn't sort of like direct, trying to direct things after my death. You understand? Or after my leaving or whatever. See what I mean? And that felt like a good thing. But actually, it's not. There's something God's saying of, I want you to be, as, as was prayed, you know, blessed to be a blessing. I want you to, I want you to start something that keeps going. Okay? Now, I don't know how I'm going to change that at this point in time, but I'm going to try. But I want to say, see, I would stop right there. That's a worldly thing. Yes, I want to be prosperous. I want to be well off. I want to be comfortable. I don't want to be, live in this state of tension and stress and financially that I live in. Okay? So there you go. But now here goes the real blessing. That's the worldly stuff. Here's the stuff that matters. Many nations become your, may many nations become your servants and may they bow down to you. May you be the master over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow to you. All who curse you will be cursed and all who bless you will be blessed. Now let's just take the first half of that. May many nations bow down in your brothers. Does anybody remember that? Does that ring a bell to something that say happened last week in an incredibly good sermon by Justine? This idea that Joseph has this dream and that the brothers would bow down to him and even the father at one point in time and Jacob himself doesn't like that. They said, what are you saying? The father's going to bow down to his son. Well, of course, that's what happens, right? The dream was true, it was from God, it happens, okay? But the thing that I want you to see here is when we think about it as like me being over you, like we're brothers and I'm gonna be bigger and more important than you and you're gonna bow down to me, that kind of sucks, right? That's worldly. There's something about that that isn't right, but there is something about that that actually is godly. And let me just show you. At the very beginning of the book, Here's what it says. Adam and Eve fall. And then what happens is, is that God in cursing the snake says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. This seed of yours, Jesus, he will strike your head. You will strike his heel. That's the cross. Satan's thinking that he has won by putting Jesus on the cross and he's going to die and that's the end of it. He thinks he's won. Well, it turns out that that wasn't really a very big deal. In fact, it was quite the opposite because in that death, Christ Jesus is set, setting the world free. Now, we can explain that. If you don't get that, come and talk to me. But I don't, I don't have time to do it right now. But the bottom line that I want you to see is, is that there is one to whom we all need to bow. Do you see that? And when we're talking about bowing and making a big deal about bowing, it turns out there is an aspect of that that isn't just weird sibling rivalry that really does have to do with bowing to the one who saved us, becoming his servants, thanking him, praising him for what he's done. Do you see it? Okay. So there is something in this that's larger, but now let me go to here. See, now watch this. Many nations become your servants. May they bow down. Here's what I've been saying to you. All of the things spoken about what's going to happen in the book of Genesis happen. All of them. Not some of them, not 80 or 90%, not Nostradamus, 60%. Oh my gosh. Right? Particularly if you twist and move them around. No, 100% of everything comes to pass in 100% of the way, in ways that we couldn't even imagine until they do fulfill. And then we go, oh my gosh, that's so much more of a fulfillment of that than I ever recognized it was ridiculous. And here's the truth. That never happens in Israel's history. Not even under Solomon. Solomon did not rule over all the nations around him, the many nations. He was just a really good deal maker. He created alliances with them and got all kinds of prosperity from them and so on. But that does, in fact, come true, doesn't it? One to many nations. Jesus. All over the world today, people bend their knee to Jesus. So it's true. Now, on another level, in another way, the second part of this is, 
All who curse you will be cursed. All who bless you will be blessed. This is mind-blowing. In the Bible itself, and it's not just limited to Scripture, in the Bible itself, we have how many different nations tried to wipe out the nation of Israel? How many would you say? A hundred? All of them. All of them. <laughs> pretty, good, pretty good answer right there. Pretty much, that's true. Do you realize, basically, virtually, none of them still exist? All those nations that tried to wipe out Israel, every single one of them, almost, is gone. They're not descendants of and descendants of and descendants of. You got descendants of Esau. But all, but, and there's some of that that still goes on. But the, and even those are nations that hate Israel. But the bottom line is, you got nation after nation, peoples after peoples, that tried to wipe out Israel and that are gone. They're no, never to be seen again in history. All the time. Now, you can go from there, and you, can, you don't just have to limit this to the Bible. You can go to, say, a few years back, World War II. We just celebrated D-Day. You know, you, nobody... <laughs> it's, it's unbelievably difficult for a modern generation to understand how close Hitler came to accomplishing his goals. One of the primary of which was to genocidally kill every Jew in Europe. Now, Germany, of course, lost and was deeply humbled, and you could say, well, why didn't they cease to exist? And I would say something to you that I think is not unimportant. They went absolutely crazy with Hitler, under Hitler. They did. They went crazy. And that shows us what we're capable of as human beings. But let's do make clear something. They repented. The nation of Germany as a whole, there's still skinheads there, and there's still some nationalistic pride there, but the vast majority of the people of Germany have repented. And look what happened. When they were trying to wipe out the Jewish people, they were cursed and they almost disappeared. And then they, they come back as they bless, as they repent. And, of course, what happens is, is that God uses that. You remember, see, here's what I'm not saying, because here's where, here's where this theology goes bad. Oh, I see. The reason why God blesses Israel is because they do everything just right. They're a good nation. Everybody else is bad. Let's be clear. The history of Israel is not good, just like that video said. Bad, 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 from the very beginning all the way through. In fact, they disappeared as a nation, not as a people. They were prospering in the world, but they disappeared as a nation from just after Jesus was died. Why? Because they rejected their Savior. And they stopped being a nation until Hitler did what he did, and then they became a nation. Show me where that is anywhere else in the world. Show me where, almost 2,000 years later, a nation is brought back into existence. Do you think maybe God's in control? Do you see it? These are extraordinary things that we're looking at here. Surpassingly so. This idea comes, of course... God blesses Abram with this. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who treat you with contempt. And the people there shall be blessed. And then it goes to Isaac. And then it goes to Jacob. And that's that line, this family tree that we see. And then the 12 sons and the whole thing. Okay? But, but I want you to see something here. Look, in Genesis 3, when he promises to Abraham, look what he says. All the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. We know that this is written before Jesus. We know that this is written before Jesus. And tell me what sense it makes. Because it's not true. The nation of Israel does not bless the whole of the world. God is trying to bless them if people would watch him and learn and all this kind of stuff. But it's not true until Christ. And with Christ, it's magnificently true. So back to this basic idea here. Now, so here's the blessing. Now watch this. We don't understand what a blessing really is. Blessings are not just words. Again, I just want to say something. Here's the blessing that I, I think it's okay to say, God bless you. I think it's also okay to say, you know, in prayer, God bless this person. 
I think that's okay. But here's what I want to say. It is the beginning. That's not the end. Oh, God bless them. Okay. <laughs> what does that mean? They're not just words. The blessings that we see in Scripture define the reality which is to come. That's what these words are. They define a reality which is to come. Now we can ask a question. Is this Isaac saying things which God then makes happen? Or is there some power in Isaac? <laughs> is he able to say, you know, after I'm dead, this is what's going to happen to you. And then that happens because what does he do? Come back from the grave and make it happen? How can you control something that's after you're dead? You can't. So there's something here between Isaac's understanding of blessing and Jacob's that we're going to see a progression of God trying to bring us into better understanding of it. But here we go. Is the speaker speaking things into existence or something else going on? Well, let's look at it. Now watch this. The Lord, the Lord blessed the Jacob, <laughs> Jacob and his descendants exactly as Isaac pronounced. He blessed him exactly as he pronounced it. But wait wasn't Isaac's intention to give the blessing to Esau. Let me make it clear. If I intend to bless Adam and somebody who shall not be named comes and tries to get in front of it and deceives me in order to receive the blessing, what do I do? Kevin. He says, Kevin's trying to steal it. Okay. <laughs> That's funny. You see it? If they do that, what do I do? What do, what do we all do as a person? You tried to steal it. You don't get it. Get away from me. I just take back, <laughs> right? I take, they're just words, aren't they? They're just words. Can't I take them back? Don't you think you can? I did. As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, and almost before Jacob had left his father, Esau returned from the hunt. Esau prepared a delicious meal and brought it to his father. Then he said, sit up my father and eat my wild game so you can give me your blessing. Isaac asked him, who are you? Esau replied, well, it's your son, your firstborn son, Esau. Isaac began to tremble and control of him and said, then who just served me wild game? I've already eaten it and I blessed him before you came. And yes, that blessing must stand. To which I say, why? Jacob stole it. That's gummy. Or Isaac was playing favorites and God had a different thing in mind. Do you see it? When Esau heard his father's words, he let out a loud and bitter cry. Oh, my father, what about me? Bless me too. Isaac said, your brother was here. He tricked me. He's taken away your blessing. Esau says, no wonder his name, Jacob, usurper, deceiver. For now he's cheated me twice. First he took my rights as the firstborn. Now he's stolen my blessings. Oh, by the way, that's not entirely true that he, anyway, but yes, it is. But anyway, oh, haven't you saved even one blessing for me? And Isaac said to Esau, I have made Jacob your master and declared all his brothers will be his servants. So what? <laughs> I, can say, I can say anything I want to say about the future, and so what? <laughs> right? If it happens, great. <laughs> but how can I control that? What do you mean, I have made? You don't have the ability to make anything. <laughs> Follow that. I've made Jacob your master, declared that all his brothers would be his servants. I've guaranteed, guaranteed him an abundance of grain and wine. What's left to give you? Esau pleaded, don't you have one blessing? Oh, my father, bless me too. Then Esau broke down and wept. Finally, his father Isaac said to him, you will live away from the riches of the earth and away from the dew of the heaven above. Does this sound like a blessing? Keep that in mind. You will live by your sword. You will serve your brother. But when you decide to break free, you will shake his yoke from your neck. That's not like, I don't want this blessing. <laughs> okay, we're learning something about blessings right now. But right now we're on this point. You will, you will, you will, you will. Remember when he said to Jacob, he said, may this happen, may this happen, may this happen. 
And it all does. But now he's saying, you will, you will, you will. Does this sound prophetic to you? He's saying, this is what's going to happen. This will happen to you, and this will happen to you, and this will happen to you. That's the way it is. Here's the point, as I just said. It was God's will to bless Jacob, not Esau. Now, we can ask why. Always. If you get to a confusing place like this, ask why. It's a decent, good question. God will answer it. You might have to press in, by the way. It might take you a month or a year, or in my case, 40 years. It was God's will to bless him. Watch this. Once, see, this is why, this is why I would think that God liked Jacob better than he liked Esau and gave him the blessing. Once when Jacob was cooking a stew, this is that thing that Kevin did, Esau came in from the field exhausted. He said to Jacob, let me eat that red stuff before I'm exhausted. Jacob replied, for some of your birthright. Look, said Esau, I'm about to die. What good's a birthright to me? Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore to Jacob, sold the birthright to him. Then Jacob gave him bread and bean stew. Wow, cheap. He drank, got up, and went away. So Esau despised his birthright. I want to say, there it is. That's why. But here's my problem. See, we've got this thing called the New Testament, and God talked through people in the New Testament too. And here's what God said through Paul. Before her twin sons were born, God spoke to Rebecca and said, the oldest will serve the younger. God spoke these words before the sons had done anything good or bad. Selling birthrights or anything else. Which proves that God calls people not on the basis of their good or bad works, but according to his divine purposes. Something he knows we don't get. For in the words of scripture, Jacob I've chosen, Esau I've rejected. In fact, the better translation on that is really, Jacob I have loved and Esau I have hated. Hated. God who is love hated him. Now I need you to, I need you to understand what's going on here. Why did this happen? We don't know for sure, but here's what we do know. When God is talking about how it is that people get saved, here's the first thing he says about how they get saved. For those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order he might be firstborn amongst many brothers. He's saying for whom he foreknew. What does that mean? Yes, and here's what we say in an Armenian way against Calvin. We say, see, God knew what you're going to do, good and bad. But it's not that, is it? Because we just had God say through him it wasn't because of anything good or bad they did. So what does foreknow mean? The word that underlies that has to do with an intimacy of a husband and a wife, knowing one another in the flesh, but in the heart. That's the word that underlies that word right there which is to say, whom he loved. And I have to say it this way. God knows who loves him. And he knew it before there was a you. He stands outside of time, remember. And it's not that he sees you're good or you're bad. It's that he sees, here's the thing. The people that do love him still do really bad things. Jacob included. That's not much of a life to model after. But do you see it? whom he loves, he keeps. That's what's going on. Whom he loves, he keeps. Keeps. You do something terrible, and I love you. And I know your heart is to love me. So let me keep you, because the end is going to be the love that we have. Amen? Back to Blessings. Blessings are prophetic words from God. In fact, here's the place that we see this beautifully. This is, Jacob is old now. He's in Egypt. Joseph has married somebody and had two kids. Jacob says, I'm about to die. Bring him to me. He brings him to him to bless him. He says they're now part of our family. And in fact, they become, the two sons of Joseph become two tribes in Israel that get land. Okay? Now, Jacob said, bring Joseph's sons closer to me so I can bless them. So Joseph positioned the boys in front of Jacob. This gets a little confusing, so let me just be simple about it. Joseph brings the older son under the right hand, which is the bigger blessing. And he brings the younger son under the left hand. That's how Joseph positions them. But what happens is, go all the way down here, uh, 
14, yeah. Jacob, thank you. Jacob crossed his arms, so he does this, and he lays the hands differently than Joseph has positioned them to be laid. Do you see that? He puts his left hand on the older and his right hand on the younger. And then Joseph is upset, and he tries to get him to switch it back. <laughs> and what happens is, is that he says, no, my father, this was the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. But his father, Jacob, refused. I know, my son, I know, he replied. Manasseh will also become a great people, but his younger brother will become even greater, and his descendants will become a multitude of nations. So Jacob blessed the boys that day. Now I want to say, that's prophetic. We're calling it a blessing, but it's a prophecy. You see it? And here's the point. I, Jacob, who had to steal the blessing which God intended for him from his brother Esau with his father Isaac, who wasn't going to play along with God's rules, Jacob is now listening to God. Do you see the difference? Jacob is listening to God and saying, I get it and I get what you think, but that's not what God's telling me. So I'm going to switch it up. I'm going to do the thing that God's telling me to do. Do you see it? And this, of course, is exactly how it plays out. So I want to say, you see what's happening here is? It's the same as let there be light and there was light. In fact... Let there be light, and there was light. Huh. Day one, God said, let there be light, and there was light. Day two, God said, by the way, whose image are we made in? God said, let there be an expanse between the water, separating water from water, and it was so. God said, let the water under the sky be gathered into one place, and the dry land appear, and it was so. God said, let the earth produce vegetation, seed bearing plants, fruit trees on the earth bearing fruit in it according to their kinds. And it was so. God said, let there be lights in the expanse and separate the day from the night. And it was so. God said, let the water team with, swarm with living creatures and let the birds fly across the expanse of the sky. This one doesn't say, and it was so, but it's evidently so. <laughs> right? God said, let the earth produce living creatures according to their kinds, livestock, creatures that crawl, wildlife of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And then, of course, us, God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And it was so. We're made in his image. We're supposed to be doing this. But now watch. It's not as just totally straightforward. Watch. A people with genuine free will in this world, when we receive a revelation of what he wants in the world, we're to speak it. We're to be giving voice to it. Let me ask you a question. Could God have thought, let there be light, and then there was light? Did he have to speak? No. Of course not. I don't think. Then again, there is something about Jesus being the one through whom everyone was done, and Jesus is the word. But nonetheless, let's just go. I think God could do everything he wanted to do. The pattern that he set was, there needs to be something in the world to make the difference. That something is Jesus. That something is my word. That's what makes it ever. See, the pattern that he set, he could have thought and it happened. What he's saying to us is, I want you to speak it. What are we really saying here? It's super simple. Into existence. We are ambassadors. We don't have any authority in ourselves. Don't think that what you say is going to happen. It's not. I can tell you what's going to happen tomorrow, and if it does, it'll just be dumb luck. Unless God tells me what's going to happen tomorrow, and I say it, and I speak it. Because really what's going on is he's saying, as a free will person, I need you to speak into the world. See, the world's made its choice to make Satan its ruler, and it continues to make that choice all the time. As a Christian, as somebody who's in relationship with God, who's come to a love relationship with God, I'm going to tell you things and I need you to then speak those into existence so that they happen. He has chosen to do his will through us. See it? Could he do his will without us? Of course. But he's chosen to do his will through us. Free will beings. See how important that is? We can choose to go the way of the world and speak those things and do those things into existence, or we can choose the things of God and speak those things into existence. Here's the world. God gave it to us. We then gave it to Satan. And now what's going on is, is Jesus is redeeming it. 
there's still that Satan stuff going on in the world. But now there's a new thing that's coming out of it. That's the heart of God. And what he's saying is God is bringing his kingdom reality into existence through us coming to know his will, choosing it, then declaring it. I've come to know your will. And I'm going to speak it into existence. And not just with my voice, with my feet, with my life. Do you see it? I'm going to speak it into existence. Because it's your will. Let me put it this way. We praise what God will meet our needs. I just, I love you. This isn't condemning. It's just truth. The vast majority of people pray for what? God meet my needs. God help me at my job. God help me this. God help me that. God, I think help is a great word to pray to God. So I'm not arguing against you asking him to help you. What I'm saying is the extent of our prayer is God help me. Here's what God wants. He wants to spend so much he wants us to spend so much time with him that we know his needs. <laughs> That's devotional. This is going out and letting him set the agenda. It's fine to pray for the things that you need. Just make sure, honestly, I'm serious. Make sure that's the minor thing and that the major thing is, God, what do you want to do? Every time I preach a sermon, every single time, here's what I pray. God, what do you want to say? What do you want to say? That's my starting point. And then he starts to quicken to me, and then I start to build from there. You see it? What do you want to say? The whole of my life is this. Because I spend a lot of time with God, and it certainly is not perfect. Don't misunderstand. I'm still Jacob and worse. But the whole of my intention in my life is to spend so much time with God that I know what his heart is, what his will is, and that I become an instrument of his to then declare that into the world and then to follow it. Right? Does that sound about what we're supposed to do? And then be his way to speak them into existence. He wants to use me to do his will. All right, now. I'm going to do this fast. I'm going to do this fast because this happens oftentimes with my sermons. My timing is off. I literally did this sermon today and it was 30 minutes long. And I was like, well, I got plenty of time this time. And I'm four minutes over. <laughs> so I'm now going to take a major point, which really is a major point, but I'm going to do it very quickly. I'm just going to show you something because there is a wrinkle to all of this. We've already kind of touched on it. I want you to see chapter 49 and I want you to see these blessings that are spoken over people. And I want you to see if you want these blessings because I can tell you in over half of them, you don't want them. So just real quickly, Jacob calls his son together, gather yourselves together that I may tell you what will happen in days to come. Sound prophetic? He's saying, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. Where do, where do you get that from? Well, God. Assemble and listen. Reuben, you're my firstborn. Bottom line, I'm just going to tell you the stories real quick. Reuben is the firstborn, and what he's, Reuben slept with one of the mothers, and he says, you're unstable. You're not going to go anywhere. And sure enough, what happens is, is it, you see Reuben over here? This is, see, God, God gave the land everything that side of the river, but some people said, we want to stay on this side. And Reuben was one of those, and he was also south. And he got attacked and everything else to the point that he basically dissipated, just like it says in the prophecy, in the blessing, quote-unquote, about him. Okay? Simeon and Levi, you guys, here's what they did. When, when Jacob and Esau meet, Esau then goes, and Jacob says, I'm going to follow, and he doesn't follow. Once again, he lies, and he goes north. This is after him wrestling with God, by the way. And he goes north. He doesn't even go to Bethel, where he should have gone. We said he would go if God brought him back. But he goes north, and when he goes north, some people mess around with his sister, do a terrible thing to his sister, and these guys then deceive all of those guys and end up killing them all. And what, what, what Jacob says to him is, you guys just love violence, and I don't have anything to do with you, so I'm going to disperse you. Now, I want to see, I want you to see how true this was. Simeon's all the way down at the very south. You see that? 
they basically are attacked so much on the, on the edge like that, they're not protected from another tribe or anything else, and they basically just have all kinds of problems, and they're, they're not even really a part of it. Do you see that? They don't even really get up into where Israel is. But then even more so, remember, it was Levi. Levitical priests, they don't even get land. Now, they do become the priests, but there's green dots every, in all of these various places, and those are the Levitical cities. They don't even get a land. So when he says going to dissipate, and this happens hundreds of years later, 400 years later. So it happens, just like I said. Judah, your brothers are going to praise you. This is the one, of course, right? You know, you're going to be strong and all of these kinds of things. It's not that Judah was perfect either, but Judah's a young lion. You're going to turn for the kill. He crouches. He lies down like a lion. Who dares rouse him? The scepter will not depart from Judah or the staff from between his feet until he whose right it is comes and the obedience of peoples belongs to him. The scepter will not depart. Well, David died, and then the scepter went to Solomon. And then Solomon died. And then the, and he's not talking about a family here, is he? He says he, singular, one person. But it doesn't even stay in the Davidic line because they end up getting captured to Babylon. And when somebody comes back, yeah, they have somebody who goes Judah, but they're not really a king. They're not, they're, they don't have anything. They, they live in a kind of bondage all the way up until the time of Christ. Who is the one whose right it is? And who the deceptor has never departed from him since he took it. You see it? And of course, peoples belongs to him. So right here again, we have clearly the fulfillment in Christ. Zebulun, uh, again, I just need to go fast. He talks about how he's going to behave for ships. Well, wait a minute, he's right in the middle. He's not even on a land uh, sea mass. Well, it turns out he spreads out to both the Mediterranean and to the Galilee to the point that there's this town called Nazareth where there's a bunch of fishermen, which are tribes of Zebulun. Issachar, strong donkey, sees a nice place, ends up a slave. Exactly what happens to him. Dan judges his people. Dan gets attacked all the time. Poor Dan. Dan just gets attacked all the time by everybody. He's just always attacked. And it makes his numbers little, but he becomes so fierce that both Samuel and Chronicles note several times what a fierce group of warriors the people from Dan are. Now, there isn't any tribe of Dan yet. There's just Dan. But... Raiders shall raid Gad. He's another one that this happens to, and he becomes fierce too, mentioned in Chronicles and Samuel. Asher's food is rich, and he'll, he'll yield real royal delicacies. This is exactly what happens. He lives in this place where all these really delicacy foods come out, and he ends up feeding the Phoenician kings and the Israelite kings. It's like France. <laughs> Neftali is a doe let loose that bears beautiful fawns. Neftali was a pacifist. Not, not Naphtali, but his tribe becomes pacifists. And they end up dwelling peacefully. Interesting there. Joseph is a fruitful bough, fruitful bough by spring. I'm not making any political comment on that. Please don't read too much into that. His branches run over the wall. This is Joseph. He loves Joseph, and he prophesies a big thing about him. And Joseph does indeed become incredibly important and strong. Okay? And amen. remember, his two sons get the land because Levites end up getting cities, and so they have to make up one more. Benjamin, a ravenous wolf in the morning, devouring his prey, all the 12 tribes of Israel. Okay, and indeed, that's what he does. And here's what it says. This is what Jacob, their father, said to them as he blessed his sons, blessing each with a blessing suitable to that person. What does suitable mean? As led by the Lord. He spoke the thing that needed to be spoken. Now, watch. Super important right here. We think a blessing is something good. I've just showed you several blessings that weren't so good. People ending up slaves, being destroyed, all kinds of bad things happening to them, right? Are our fates set? Are they? Because right here, that's the lesson that we're learning. You, whatever is your future is your future. Somebody speaks it to you, you, may as well just walk into it. 
Nothing you can do about it. Every single one of those tribes is fulfilled exactly like that. All the other blessings, everything is fulfilled completely, as I've been saying the whole time. Not every blessing is positive. All the more reason to seek his will. Could you bring my grandkids forward? Julie, are you there? Oh, please, somebody go get Julie and, and Piper. I knew she was, just, just run, okay? You gotta see Piper because this is ridiculous how she's dressed. Totally Julie's vision of what all children should be. Wait till you see it. This is like a cloud, a puff. But this is the new one. And this is Carter, okay? And Carter man is what we call him because Carter is a man, okay? Oh, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. So I'm trying to get him to where you can see him. Can you see him? This is Carter man. This baby was just left with us for two or three days and it's like a couple of months old. Can I tell you, I was freaking, okay? But somehow our daughter is raising these just really peaceful children, you know? I don't know what the deal is. But that's Carter, man. See these people there? What do you think? Thanks, Julie. Come on up. Okay. I want to say something. I want you to look at the screen. It's going to be hard with Piper coming up. I can't look at anything but her. I asked you the question. Oh, oh, here, here, here. Julie, you got to help me. Push him up a little bit more. Just a little bit more. There you go. Is that a vision or what? Hi. Is that the coolest thing ever? Let me give you a really horrible thought that they're too young to understand or I wouldn't say it in their presence. What if the future for them that would be prophesied over them as a blessing, spoken into existence, was one of those negative ones? Here's the argument that we're making. When you're about to bless somebody, you need to pray. Oh, she's, she's laughing at her sister. They really like each other. Now, I really want you to follow this. Is it set? Or can Jesus change anything? See, what I've been arguing for is you need to come to know the will of the Lord. Let me say something. Most people would say the reason why I don't bless people is because I have no idea what the Lord wants to do with them. And you know why that is? Because you haven't spent any time with the Lord finding out what his will is for them. Not really. You've prayed for them to be happy. Not everybody's done this, right? You've prayed for them to be happy. You've prayed for them to be, see what I mean? To be blessed, to be prosperous, to find a good spouse, to whatever it is, right? You've prayed for all of these things. But here's the part that we don't do. Not all of us, some of us do this. But what we're supposed to be doing is asking the Lord, what's their future? What do you have for them? Do you see that? Yeah. Thank you, honey. Thank you. Just like. And let me tell you something. What if the Lord said there's a hardship in front of them? What would you do? Jesus is the one that changes destinies. Jesus is the one that changes the future. God can do anything he wants. And I want to argue that the fact that not all blessings are good is all the more reason to seek and to find what is that blessing, that thought. Do you see it? Because you've got to know. And then you've got to raise them the way that they're supposed to be raised, the way that he wants them raised. You've got to go after him and find his will for them so that you can be praying into them. You can be speaking into them. Getting it? Does this seem important all of a sudden? Because to me it does. All of a sudden legacy means something more to me. Oh, Julie, I need you to take him, but oh, I so don't want that. Okay, here. 
Thank you, Becca Chip. Bye, Carter Man. Once again, look at the dress and just know that's Julie. Okay? No Armani in this family. Okay? I'm gonna end, I'm gonna end with this thought right here. This has happened to me. I was headed, oh God, I'm really gonna. I was headed a very difficult direction in my family. I was so separated from them. Didn't want to have anything to do with them. Headed on a track that was so bad. Even when I was saved. Less so, but even then. And Dave Brunk came up to me one time and he said to me, Kurt, you're the one that wants to keep the family together. In my head, here's what I said. That's not true. At that point in time, I actually loved him again. But I didn't feel like I was a force to keep the family together at all. And I wasn't being that. I was not manifesting that. I wasn't manifesting separation anymore because I'd become saved and I now loved them and there was something that was going on that was quite different. But it still wasn't me trying to keep them together. But I'm telling you, when he spoke that to me, it was a word from God. Bye-bye. <laughs> it was a word from God that went into me and changed me. I knew it. I'm, I, I'm, I can remember the moment that he said it to me because I could feel something come into me and change me. Now, this is when Dave was still alive and Jim was still alive. And they were the, Dave was the one keeping the family together in my mind. Jan, you're here, right? And Jim was the firstborn. But I'm telling you, it did something in me. And then in ways I could not have known, both of those brothers pass away. And guess what I am now? And... Everybody in the family will tell you. Everybody will tell you. I'm the one that calls the nieces and the nephews. I'm the one that's calling the wives. I'm the one that's calling. I'm the one that's doing this and doing that. I'm not saying the other brothers aren't loving and they're not doing tons of stuff. They are. But I'm telling you, I'm the one that is trying to keep this family together. I'm the one that's going after it with everything in me. Dave spoke a word from the Lord and it changed me that's what Jesus does Lord Jesus holy and precious name we come before you and we ask you speak a word to us that changes us but then let us be that one that sought you that has sought you that has gone after you to speak a word to someone else to speak words of life that go in and it is so let us find you let us seek our for our friends for our neighbors for our co-workers for our family let us seek you let us spend so much time with you that you're able to cut through all the noise of our own needs and wants and get to the things you want that we might become the very mouthpiece of God, the very heart of God, the very manifestation, the thing sent into the world by you to make that difference. This thing is so important. I am begging you, God, make us understand how important it is. Start giving us the time to do it and make us instruments to bring about your will.